And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Show. Bournemouth back in the top two. QPR get a much needed win. Forest thump Reading. Wednesday experience the joy of six. And Sparky's off and running at Bradford. In association with Paddy Power, this is the Totally Football League show. Here we are then, gang the first of our bi-weekly delves into everything EFL related. Joining me today, Matt Davis-Adams, are Adrian Clark. Hello. Uh, JB McEnough's back with us too. Hi, JB. Hi, Matt. How are you, mate? I'm all right. And I want to thank listener Gary Jones for bringing to my attention the goal that you scored on Sunday. Talk us through it and, and the disappointing lack of celebration. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of twofold when you play in these types of games. One, absolutely delighted uh, to score any form of goal um, since hanging up the boots and just nice to be out there playing with the boys. But when you are playing against uh, 62-year-olds, um, you do have to temper the celebration slightly being newly retired. I don't want to be that annoying uh, player that they're thinking shouldn't be on the pitch with them. But I haven't given, I've given them five years, Matt, you know, in terms of veteran status. I am 40 years of age, and so I'm very much uh, worthy of my position on the team and uh, just enjoying it while I can, mate. It's Roy the Rovers' goal, though, isn't it? It really was, it was, was yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, I liked it. Here goes Joby McEnough, head down, still going. McAuliffe might go all the way here. Oh, what a goal that is. Well, he was the star man in the first round. This was the Generation Cup, right? And you, you were representing Palace? Yeah, it was uh, something that's been put together. The uh, original teams that contested apparently the first ever FA Cup match. Um, so there was some interesting opposition along the way. We've uh, certainly pulled in a few favours, the likes of Andy Johnson turning out, Julian Spiroli, uh, Mile Jedinak. Uh, so we had a good good group of lads and uh, overall that's the, the greatest thing because football goes by quickly when you're still playing and some of the boys I literally haven't seen since, well, probably going back sort of 2005-06. So uh, really nice to, to see everybody and really... Well done to the fans that made it up to St George's yesterday and, and supported what has been a, a brilliant cause. There was also a charity involved as well. So all good stuff. And well done to you. And there you go, listener. You, you can't say you don't get any Generation Cup coverage on this podcast. Um, but our meet and drink is the Football League and we'll start in the Championship. The headlines. Leaders Fulham held by Barnsley in Yorkshire. Bournemouth back up to second after besting Derby. Sheffield United stay in the playoff positions despite a hefty loss at Coventry. Bristol City earned a first away win since October against flailing Blackburn. And Millwall managed 10 shots in their game with Borough. Still didn't score any of them though. And we're going to start at Oakwell, where Barnsley now four unbeaten at home after they denied Fulham a fifth win in succession. But the Tykes could be forgiven for feeling rueful having had the lead snatched from them for minutes from time. Okay, penalties are going to be a consistent theme in this podcast because there were loads of them this past weekend. Uh, the one here particularly egregious, Carlton Morris fell over the ball. Tim Robinson, the ref, gave a pen. Uh, Clarky, you've got a solution to this, this glut of penalties we're seeing in the EFL. Oh, yeah, it just drives me mad. I, I think that this weekend was... <laughs> It was embarrassing, really, the number of cheap penalties that were awarded by referees across the EFL. It, it was remarkable, and it it just sort of took me back about a year, eighteen months. When I, I think I don't know if I said it on this podcast or on the radio, just about penalties being given too easily, and and the reward may maybe being too big, too generous for 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 the for the for the crimes. You know, does the punishment fit the crime? I don't think it does very very often. To be perfectly honest, so so my theory here, because referees love penalties, they love giving it. They're not going to change. They're always going to be soft ones. So let's let's make penalties harder. Let's push it back. Fifteen yard spot. Let's have a fifteen yard. Forget twelve yards. It's it's too easy. 
It's too, it's, you could even, I would even not not be against an 18-yard spot. Keep, keep the 12-yard one for the shootouts, but for, for in general play, let's, let's see how many goals are scored from the edge of the box because, in my opinion, six or seven out of ten penalties that are awarded are never going to result in a goal. They just never, um, and I just think that the, the the punishment does not fit the crime. And and, and yeah, th- this weekend just highlighted it. That was never a penalty at, at Barnsley. That was that was an atrocious decision. The one at West Brom, others too. So make penalties tougher. That's that's my theory. What does Joby think? He's shaking his head. He's not having it. He's not having it. Why? Well, uh, there's two parts to this answer. One, I agree with you. Officiating needs to improve, and some of the decisions were atrocious at best but from somebody who has missed from 12 yards <laughs> I certainly don't want them going any further back particularly now in my anymore, new vets mate. career that I've mentioned already if I do have to take one down the line against an aging goalkeeper I need it as close as I can Clarky. so um no listen I think the the penalty rule itself is is fine for me but yeah certainly I'm with you on you know refereeing standards again for me in the EFL in particular and listen it's a hard job you know, I'm not going to sit here and say it's not. And you've got, to, I've refereed some small sided games and stuff when I was coaching and managing. And there are split second decisions that you have to make without the aid of, you know, technology. But these ones were pretty clear cut decisions that we should have had better results from. And listen, they really have a massive impact, you know, on results. Everyone's fighting for, you know, survival, for promotion, you know, whatever it is. And all we ask at times is just, you know, to get a little bit of assistance at time from the officials. And clearly there'll be a lot of clubs over this weekend and probably the course of the season that certainly feel aggrieved by some of those decisions. So in terms of this game then, Barnsley lucky to get their goal. Are they are they happy, Adrian, to have taken a draw against the, the champs elect? Because obviously they concede late, but then Harry Wilson misses a sitter thereafter but it's another late goal conceded for them to, to follow on from Stoke in midweek and things would look really different if they hadn't let in those two goals yeah they'll be infuriated but they shouldn't be too they shouldn't beat themselves up because it's a great result it's a really good result they could easily have lost it like you said that open goal at the end from Harry Wilson that was one of my headers that was at the fast stick just close my eyes hope for the best um, but no I, I think that they've they're improving. Um, the players clearly like Aspargi. I think that, that he's changed the mentality. It feels to me from the outside looking in that he's given the players confidence and they actually believe in the messages that he's telling them. Uh, telling them. So you, you have to say that probably they've leapfrogged Derby in terms of prospects of hauling in Reading because they're, they're all on the same sort of page at the moment and, and in good form. I, I do want to praise up Michael Hillick. Phenomenal performance from him. Ten. Ten times he cleared the ball, including one off the line. Um, he won ev- pretty much every header. I think he made three blocks. And I looked it up, actually, because he is a good defender, isn't he? Um, and he's made more clearances than anyone else in, in the championship this season, Michael Hellick. So a bit of an unsung star there. I think they should be pleased. that they, they really disrupted Fulham and made it, made it difficult for them to go and play their normal game. So, yeah, well done to them. They got... Reading to come at home at the start of next month, Joby, and they've also still got to play Peterborough at home. So it's not in their own hands, but it's still doable. No, definitely. And I think the big thing at this stage of the season is form. Um, you know, Clark, he's just touched on it there. They've only lost two of their last seven games. Yes, the last couple they've drawn and, and would have been desperate to, to, to get more points than they have. But when I look at a group of players and a manager that are on the same page, you know, out of those teams, definitely down at the bottom. Of course, Derby have done fantastic to be anywhere near getting out of trouble this season. But, you know, when I look across at my former club, Reading, you know, they are in big trouble. You know, they've got a couple of real tough, tough games coming up. Uh, Bournemouth, Blackburn, before they actually face Barnsley. So that could be a real, real critical game. If Barnsley can carry on the good form they've had and even pick up you know, they'd love to win, of course, one of those games. But even if they pick up a couple of more points, close that gap a little bit more and then have the opportunity to get out at Reading's expense, psychologically, that could be absolutely huge. And in terms of, again, a, a team moving in the right direction, although they're still down in that bottom three, I'd certainly say Barnsley um, are the ones at the moment that probably look more likely to pick up more points between now and the end of the season 
than Reading do. Whether it's going to be enough to get them out will come down to that game against Reading for sure. The Peterborough game, you know, massive, massive stakes again as well. So they're in with a shout and I think that's all they can ask for. I think there were times this season where we didn't think that would be the case when Ashbargi came in, didn't exactly hit the ground running, but he's really implemented, you know, some things in terms of being harder to beat. That was probably the biggest criticism. They weren't winning enough games, although they did look more solid. But what he's added now with those attacking options, Bit of flair he's a now, team isn't that there, looks Jobs? like they can go. Yeah, Keen has come in, Bassey's come in, two really important signings. And they look like they can go and win football matches, you know. And, you know, between now and the end of the season, it's certainly going to be, be really interesting. Another bit of Barnsley news that's breaking this Monday. Callum Styles has received his first call-up to the Hungary squad for their friendlies at the end of this month. He qualifies through his grandparents, so congrats to him. Uh, also at the bottom, Derby were beaten. They lost 2-0 at Bournemouth. It's moved Bournemouth back up to second place. A big win, actually, this, Joby, because Bournemouth have been on the slide. First win in three for them, and we know what awkward opponents Derby can be. Maybe they got a little bit of help from the ref to Bournemouth with, with Derby not getting a penalty here, but but they did just about enough to get the win. Just about enough. And I think at this stage of the season, you know, it's about just getting those points. They've been in a bit of a, a sticky patch, you know, a couple of results that they haven't been happy with. And again, Derby are notoriously difficult to to break down and to beat. And as you say, on another day, if that penalty decision goes for Derby, you know, where I think has been going on at Bournemouth, it could have been a little bit more tricky than it ended up being Dom Solanke, as we've seen on so many occasions, you know, coming up trumps again, you know, obviously with the first goal, Jaden Anthony done some outstanding wing play, rather than reminiscent actually of me yesterday against the 60-year-olds, actually. <laughs> uh, a couple of nutmegs along the way. But he's back to the form that we've seen earlier in the season. And of course, Solanke involved uh, for Jamal Lowe's late goal as well. And I think that just shows sometimes when you're up there versus when you're down there. You know, Solanke last minute of the first half, Jamal Lowe last minute of the second half. And I think, Again, for me, psychologically, it was huge. With the games in hand, everyone talks about, oh, they've got games in hand, but you need to win them. You know, you need to win them to get those points. Huddersfield have been in fantastic form, probably unexpectedly from their point of view. So I think Scott Parker will be absolutely delighted, um, you know, as I say, to just get that win and hopefully something that's going to kick them on. Uh, that momentum that Derby had, Adrian, seems to have gone, doesn't it? Four defeats in five for them now and, and just not enough goals. They haven't scored in, in three of those defeats. Yeah, it's um, it has dried up for them. The, 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 a lot of so-so performances. This was one of those. They weren't terrible, but they weren't great. They weren't good enough to win the game. Best they could. That performance could have could have sort of yielded. I think was was a point, one or two flashes from Lawrence uh, Morrison, but that that's kind of it. They've got a lot of players fit and available at the moment, haven't they? But they they've been light all season up front. Obviously, Luke Planch is is a hot streak has dried up a little bit since since he's made that transfer and and been loaned back. It's a strange situation for him, isn't it, to be in. So maybe maybe that's impacted it a little bit. But but yeah, I think in in general they're just playing okay, not well, not as well as they were uh, a month or two ago. And and that's not going to be enough, is it, for Derby County to to get themselves out of the bottom three? So they um, need to raise their raise their levels. Of course, they've lost another player this week, haven't they? Josviak's gone. Yeah, he's gone. This is uh, the BBC reporting that he's joining MLS side Charlotte FC for £2 million. Maybe the pennies drop for Derby. They actually need to raise some money to pay the people <laughs> that they owe it to. Uh, meanwhile, QPR got back to winning ways at Kenilworth Road. They beat Luton 2-1 thanks to a late Rob Dickey goal. It means Rangers are fourth. Luton are outside the playoffs on goal difference. Uh, your old pal Nathan Jones, Adrian. I feel like he could have done with taking a deep breath, counting to 10 and then doing his, his post-match <laughs> interview. I'm just disappointed with the goals. It's killed me and I'm finding it hard to speak. Well, when you use the term horrific um, twice in two sentences, you you know a manager is, is, is in bits. <laughs> he describes it, doesn't he? He said there were some absolutely horrific performances out there. And then he repeats it. Horrific performances out there. I mean, just to emphasise the point, I think Cal Naismith Cal is might have been, you know, sort of facing the wrath afterwards for for giving the the penalty away. 
yeah, did, Nathan was right. He did need to stay on his feet. It was a, it was a bad decision from, from quite an experienced player. So that, that so, definitely yeah. was a penalty, Clarky, yeah? <laughs> definitely, yeah. yeah okay. Definitely a penalty, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, it's... Um, I don't know. Yeah, he, he, he's emotional. He, he, he lives and breathes it, doesn't he, Nathan? I don't think the player, in fairness, I don't think the players would revolt against Nathan for, for an emotional post-match interview because they'll, they'll see him every day. I don't think it's anything he, he wouldn't have told them himself. So And that, and Joby's been there. All players want is sort of authenticity and honesty from, from a gaffer. <laughs> you know, you, you don't want a gaffer in the dressing room saying, oh, unlucky boys, you did all right today, well played. And then he goes out and tells the press, how crap you were. You know, that's a disaster, disastrous scenario. Nathan, I think, is just being himself and he would be with the players too. I'm with you, Joby. I thought there was a bit of doubt about the pen. Um, huge win for QPR this though. What do you make of the, the one-step penalty technique from, from Andre Gray? Is, it, is this the Ivan Tony effect that we're seeing? Well, listen, as long as it goes in, whether it's one step, two steps, the old Alan Shearer turn around and whack it in the top corner one, it, it doesn't really matter. But it was a big penalty and a big moment for QPR I think particularly you know their away form of late hasn't been good and there has been talk from Mark Warburton himself you know we've seen Nathan Jones come out post-match and, and Mark's been quite spiky at times I've got to be honest and I'm very honest which he always is and I love a manager coming out post-match and and giving us that that raw emotion and it, it's tough to do you know when you've just suffered a defeat you know particularly in the manner that, that they have and again going back to QPR been considered a little bit of a soft touch away from home of late and that's something they need to address if they are to cement their place in in the playoffs and probably something that's really derailed their automatic charge at times um, particularly lately so I think without playing fantastically well and again that's something probably that's been leveled at, at QPR when things are going well and everyone's getting on the ball and playing well they look a great team can they go and dig out a result you know, when potentially they're not at the top of their game and they haven't been at the top of their game for a little while now. And that's been a big factor in why they haven't got those results. But definitely a bit of fortune. I did think the penalty was a penalty and, and Cal Naismith, as a player, if your manager comes out and gives you a little bit for making a rash decision, you have to hold your hands up and, and take that on the chin. You know, Nathan Jones has defended them to the hill on, on more than one occasion this season. So that's, that's a fair cop. But I think the winning goal is a bit of luck, certainly from QPR's point of view. Rob Dickey, who has suffered himself, you know, personally, I think it could be a big game, a goal for him as well to just give him that confidence back. Uh, but Luke Amos certainly looked like he was uh, interfering with the goalkeeper in an offside position. Um, even though he didn't touch the ball, the goalkeeper's going to be aware of him because he's he's literally right next to him, you know. So I felt like they did get a little bit of fortune, but these are little decisions that you need to go your way. And it, it could be that slice of luck that QPR needed just to, to get themselves going and, and back on track. Well, for QPR, next up is a trip to the two-time European champions, Nottingham Forest, on Wednesday night. We'll let you know how they got on this weekend next. The Cheltenham Festival. Four days of racing and home to the greatest rivalry you've never heard of. That's right, Britannia. The Irish are coming and they quite fancy taking all your silverware. But don't worry, here at Paddy Power, we plan on giving back with a whopping £15 in free bets online. Get a £5 free bet on any race on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Plus, get all the latest tips from the experts at paddypowernews.com. The battle for Cheltenham glory begins on March the 15th. Paddy Power. Max one free five pound bet per customer per day. T's and C's apply. Please gamble responsibly. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Alexander Silva. Silva with an early ball in. He's looking for Sorridge. Four nil. Oh, that's brilliant oh, wow. for Forest. That is magnificent. So how on earth are my beloved Nottingham Forest not in the playoffs yet? It, it feels like we've been winning for weeks and weeks and weeks and yet we still can't break into that top six. The latest victory coming against a, a truly crummy Reading team who lasted all of 17 <laughs> seconds before going behind the quickest goal of the championship season for Keenan Davis. And and he, Adrian, is, is a player totally revitalised by this loan move. I was looking up the stats. He'd scored three league goals in 73 games before he came to Forest. He's got four in 10 now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he needed the move and it's worked out perfectly for him. And yeah, he's been excellent, hasn't he? Even when he's not been scoring goals, Keenan Davis has, has been a great platform for the rest of the team to play off. He... 
has been used from the start usually for sort of 60, 70 minutes. Give us everything, rough up those centre halves, and then we'll, and then you know if, if if you're out of gas, we'll bring you off and 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 you know replenish it with somebody else. So it's been a wonderful, wonderful loan signing. Obviously, dream start. Terrible defending from from Reading. I think it was Junior Hoylett um, switching off with a left back, wasn't it? Inside 17 seconds. Poor old Scott Dan got absolutely rinsed, didn't he, for the second goal? I mean, the turn was was excellent, but you know, and, and the power as well. But but that was a player. That was a young player in his prime. Leaving a veteran that's short of match practice, <laughs> um, trailing his weight, wasn't it? It was. It was a little bit, little bit humbling, I think, for Scott Dan. It's, it's one of them. He's, it, it, psychologically, it, it might impact him. He's got. To, he's got to sort of wipe it, I think, from from his head because if that gets into his head, um, he, he might be a bit nervy moving forward. So no, good, good, easy win for Forrest. Obviously, the only disappointments were the injuries, weren't they, to, to Max Lowe and and Steve Cook. I mean, if Cook is out, whew, I mean, it's not it's not the end of the world because you've got two two good centre halves there, but but he's been very influential. So um, yeah, fingers crossed on that front. Yeah, waiting for news on that. They hope him the Max Lowe one's not too serious. Uh, Joby, I've been saying for weeks and weeks that it's now or never for Forrest because a lot of these lone players are, are going to go back. The Athletic reporting on Monday that actually all five of them could be talked into into staying for next season. Somebody who definitely will be sticking around is is Ryan Yates, and he's a player who's really come to the fore under Steve Cooper. It took a while to win over the, the Forest fans who, who sort of saw him as a pretty no-frills player, but three goals in three for him now, and he'll be, he'll be a Forest player till 2025. Yeah, and a very well-deserved new contract. And I think, you know, I've, he's a player that I've come across, certainly covering Forrest, you know, in the last year and year and a half. And I think a lot of his work, he's one of those, it really does go unnoticed. I think he's a player that if you speak to lads that play with him, they really, really value what he brings to the team. You know, selfless worker, you know, covers so much ground. He wins his tackles. You know, he's, he is, you know, a real team player. And I love when those team players start getting a little bit of recognition. You know, I suppose you can uh, put it on Steve Cooper again and his Midas touch that he seems to have with with players, but certainly getting the best out of him. He's discovered a, a goal-scoring streak that I don't think even he thought he was capable of, let alone the, the Nottingham Forest fans. So, yeah, really good to see him, you know, kicking on. You know, I think coming back to your point about not being in the playoffs yet, that shows how far off it they were. When you look at their form... You know, they were, you know, ranked bottom of the league. So the fact they're even, you know, still knocking on the door now. And for me, I think they will get in there if they continue what they've been doing. But it just goes to show how far away they were actually from it and what a great job Steve Cooper's done. On um, that, Joby, yeah, just very quickly, yeah. I saw a stat this morning, or I saw a league table of of the championship since Chris Hewton got sacked. And who has the second most points is Forrest. So... Yeah, no, sec- second. So his forest, Steve Cooper's forest, are the second best team in the division, according to to the points that they've earned. So yeah, I mean, they've just got to maintain it, and then they then they'll be they'll probably get themselves into third or fourth if they oh, stop it. Stop it. I can't it. stop it. I can't take this. <laughs> <laughs> Jurgen Klopp, I hope you're listening. Anyway, I'm going to be staying up until midnight tonight to get straight online at the first available opportunity for me to get a ticket for the FA Cup quarterfinal on Sunday. Um, Reading, Joby, obviously one of your specialist subjects is, as your old club, lost three in a row, conceded nine, scored one in that time. Bournemouth and Blackburn next, as you mentioned, before that game against Barnsley. Good thing about having an interim manager is you can change it quite quickly. Is there a case <laughs> to do that again or is that ridiculous? Oh, it depends who you ask around Berkshire. I've got to he be doesn't want to upset well, the um, governor. He doesn't want to upset him. Don't ask Tommy. <laughs> listen, listen, I think it was a strange appointment, if I'm being honest. The fact that he's been out as long as he has. I think for me, if I was recruiting a manager to come in and get an immediate impact, it has to be someone who has been in the league or knows that league that he's operating. And listen, this is the greatest respect to Paul Ince. And from what I hear, he's got really good knowledge and understanding of the championship. Listen, there's factors as to why they are. There's a lot of stuff going off the field. And he's spoken about a softness, a weak underbelly, which clearly has been the case at times. I think some Reading fans were 
a little bit upset over the weekend that he was kind of referring to to them as they. Now, whether that's to try and distance himself from the mess that is Reading Football Club at the moment and maybe not be too, you know, personally associated, but you have to be, you're the manager, it's all or nothing. When you go in there, it's we, you know, that's the bottom line. I think you have to be a little bit careful that players don't start latching onto them as well. Because as soon as you start winning games and it becomes we again, <laughs> it can be more about that manager and the individual rather than the group. So um, I, I really I really fear for, for Reading. You know, they looked as though they were going to start getting themselves going two wins on the bounce, Panovic's last one and, and Ince's first one. But there's been nothing since then to suggest that they can arrest this slump that they're in. And we've spoken about Barnsley being maybe a team that could come and, and start nicking a few points and that game against them is going to be huge. So they went to try and be more solid. You know, Rinamota, Drinkwater, Josh Laron was back, which I think is going to be massive. You know, he was a fantastic player last year, struggled a bit at times this season. But you go and try and be solid, pat the midfield, and then you concede after 17 seconds and your whole game plan goes out the window. And for the rest of the half, you know, they were okay. They had a couple of real big opportunities. Again, Lauren with a header that he should have scored. Um, Michael Morrison scored, uh, had an opportunity as well. And then second half, what has been happening at times, they just capitulated, just went to pieces. And that is something he has to get into that group of players. He has to instill a, a harder mentality to, to break down and to beat at times. Because if they don't, then, you know, as we all fear at the moment, they're going to be in big, big trouble. Well, another team who conceded four on Saturday was Sheffield United, a commentary making light of the absence of manager Mark Robbins and assistant AD Vyvash, who both missed the game after positive COVID tests. First team coach Dennis Lawrence took charge from the sidelines. Adrian, you're the expert. I'm, I'm the layman. How on earth? Can you explain this to me? Sheffield United went one up. They've been brilliant of late. Coventry didn't have their manager or the number two and they come back and spank them. <laughs> no one would have seen this coming. But but we talked about Coventry, I think, on the last show saying what a sort of strange season it's been for them. That overall it's been a great season or a really good season for them. But, but they'd hit a flat spot and they hadn't beaten anyone of note for ages. Not since they'd spanked Fulham. And this game was really like the Fulham game. I think they went behind in that one. And um, yeah, they were just inspired... And it was a big crowd, the Legends Day. Uh, and I think that that, that you know, it sounds silly, but I think things like that can sort of galvanise the supporters. They go there, you know, having a good day good day out, seeing a few old faces. And, and the players responded. I, I thought there were two just phenomenal individual displays here for, from Callum O'Hare and, and Victor Jocares. Just ridiculous, really, how, how effective they were in the game. O'Hare got the goals that he sort of deserves really he's been really creative hasn't he this season I looked at I looked at chances created in open play per 90 minutes and he sandwiched in between Fabio Carvalho and Harry Wilson Callum O'Hare um, so he's number two in the, in the list of effectively the most creative players in the championship and he's playing for a team that won't create any anywhere near as many opportunities as Fulham so he's a player no doubt about that and, and as for Jokeres Quick, mobile, strong, great attitude. And, you know, if he can get his finishing going again, you know, he's, he's the complete striker, really. Um, again, statistically, he's the highest chance creating centre forward in the division. No proper striker lays on more opportunities for teammates than, than Jokeres. So these are two massive assets for, for Coventry. And they were just at it at the weekend, um, as were the rest of the team. So, yeah, Sheffield United, I think, were were, were hamstrung by loads of injuries. Like, I think they've got like 10 or 11 senior players out at the moment. So it was, it was kind of a good time to catch them. It's going to be interesting to see how they respond, Joby, isn't it? Because they've got a pretty tough run of games coming up. Blackpool away midweek. Then they host Barnsley, which is obviously a derby. Then Stoke, QPR, Bournemouth, all teams around them. So... They are going to have to find a response from somewhere because because one win in four all of a sudden. Yeah, and I think sometimes these results can serve as a bit of a a, a kick up the backside. You know, they have been going relatively well again, despite as you say that recent uh, record not being so great. Um, and I think that's the difficulty in this championship when you are trying to come. We've spoken about Forest trying to get in the playoffs, coming from so far, it isn't just a, a six game burst. You know, we're talking huge runs of games here and it's just tough to sustain that you know for 15 20 25 games in in some cases you know and I think that shows how well some of these teams have done to get where they are I certainly still feel 
you know, they are going to be one of the teams to get in those playoff places. You know, I think Paul Heckenbottom's done a, a great job, you know, since coming in. The boys seem to have really responded. He's getting a tune out of players that were pretty much non-existent. Sander Berger has been really good of late. You know, he's really come on, of course. You know, Morgan Gibbs-White, for me, one of the outstanding players in the division. And Billy Sharps rolling back the years this season with a, a you know, great amount of goals and assists as well. So I think they'll be fine. They just have to, as you say, really respond positively from this result. But I've got no doubt they will do that. And I certainly expect them to be fully in the mix uh, come the end of the season. Joe, but I noticed, I don't know if you saw the quotes from uh, Heckingbottom afterwards about the injuries. He said, he basically blamed the training ground. He said, the, the pitch that we have to train on is a bog. And it's, uh, so many of my players are getting pulled muscles or strains and whatnot. And then you go out, you see, we're training on that. And then we're going out into the firm pitches on a Saturday or a Tuesday or Wednesday. And, and, it, and, and players are, are struggling with it. Is that anything you've had experience of? Because I can... I can kind of relate to that, I think. You know, I think if your training pitch is not like the pitches you're playing on and it's hard work on it, then it, then it will it will impact you, surely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where, I think when you look at the way football's going now, there's so much investment now in training grounds versus stadium, where traditionally we've always had the big stadium, which is, you know, the Saturday or the Tuesday, you know, the, the big focus and training grounds have been a bit of an afterthought at times. But... I've absolutely had it, you know, certainly my time at Orient, we probably couldn't use the main training pitch from sometime in sort of late October, probably through to sort of February, really. And then, you know, it's so heavy. You can't, it's, it's twofold. You can't get the quality of training that you want anyway. Two, you're always up against the physical elements, you know, doing, for example, you know, everything's now data and analysis. So you might want a session to do seven kilometers at a high intensity you know, that feels like 14 when you, you, you're you treading in mud for, you know, an hour and a half. Do you know what I mean? So, and then, as you say, to flip that and then go out onto a hard pitch, coupled with the games and the, and the tough schedule, I can certainly see why that is an issue. But it's part of the process, part of the problem. And again, something that does make it harder to achieve what you want. You know, I'm sure there's ways around it in terms of trying to find, you know, areas that are usable. But I can certainly see, you know, how it can be a bit of a hindrance. But it's just something they've got to deal with. It's not going to change anytime soon, I'm sure. Um, and it's definitely something that won't help. But they've got to just put that in the background and, and get on with it, really. Right, the final game from the weekend in the Championship we're going to look at happened way back on Friday night. West Brom were in it, obviously. Uh, less obviously, they scored twice in one game. Two late goals, pinching a point against Huddersfield. Is it just me or does Steve Bruce come up against one of his old teams every week? It seems like every game that he's had as West Brom manager has been against somebody who he's previously managed. Uh, disappointed for Huddersfield this, Joby, to let, let a two-goal lead slip. But I mean, they still haven't been beaten in the league since November. They can't win every week. There's not too many reasons to grumble, is there? Uh, well, when you're 2-0 up with 84 minutes to go, you definitely will at least grumble. Um, and they were fantastic. I've got to be honest, you know, start to that point in time you know tactically you know I've got to give Carlos Corbin a lot of credit he came and played 4-4-2 you know he's capable of changing you know they're really hard team to try and predict how they're going to set up they change actually within games you know different formations and different personnel as well and they got it absolutely spot on with the two up front Sorba Thomas and Danny Ward were a constant threat and and certainly the boys in midfield um, you know did a really good job and they stopped West Brom playing out West Brom at the moment looked like a team that because they have been playing longer early in the season there's been the moans and the groans Steve Bruce has decided right we're going to try and play out and try and look a little bit better at least on the eye but I don't think the players are too comfortable doing it I've got to be honest and Huddersfield really went and got after him and stopped him playing out. Then they're then trying to kick up to Carlin Grant and Callum Robinson, who are not going to win that physical battle in the air. So it really stunted what West Brom were going to do. And again, I'm sure, Clark, you're coming in this, but a, a decision that changed the whole game. And this is where the disappointment, you're so comfortable for 85, four minutes, dominated the game. And then one decision by a referee, that was a bad decision. And again, when you watch it in real time, I've got to be honest, I think it looked worse than it was. Again, we have the benefit of replays and slowing it down to see that there was actually no contact made by Sorba Thomas. Um, Alex Mowat definitely jumps in towards, you know, the challenge to make it look like there was contact, but there wasn't any. And Sorba Thomas actually won the ball. 
So, and then they don't respect, they don't respond well to that. You know, again, West Brom get their tails up, you know, Andy Carroll's on, they're slinging balls into the box and they actually could have gone on and won it after he got his first goal for West Brom. So I think there will be real disappointment from Huddersfield based on the, the level of performance and the decision. But as you say, overall, you know, they've been fantastic and I certainly feel they'll be a team that stays in that that playoff mix now between now and the end of the season. And because of the tactical versatility, they'll be a real tough team to play if they do get in the playoffs. Was that the worst decision of the weekend, Adrian? It might have been, yeah. It was really <laughs> bad. It was great acting from Moet. I have to, <laughs> I have to credit him. Um, you know, gave it the facials. Um, it, it looked, didn't it? It looked, judging by his actions, that he'd been smacked, smacked in the face. Um, so, you know, he, he's conned the referee. I don't think we you know, we can say anything else. But the referee has got to got to use his common sense here. That was not a high boot. It was not. It, 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 the head is really low, and 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 for me, you know, he gets a clear contact, and he should be able to see that. But the trajectory of the ball that that he's got it clean. It, it was it was a really bad decision. It's a it's a lucky lucky point for West Bromwich Albion because they weren't good. Sam Johnson, massive sigh of relief for him because he had a mare, didn't he? Um, for, for for both the goals, the back three looked shaky. I re- I remember watching them though. I know I take Joby's point; they don't look comfy. But Ajayi and Bartley, I remember watching them quite a bit under Bilic. <laughs> they weren't very good at it then either, to be honest. But he he had them playing out from the back, and I, I remember always thinking they were about to lose the ball. So I just <laughs> maybe they're just not 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 suit not suited to that. But yeah, that was a lucky point. I, I don't buy into this is a turnaround for West Brom really. Clarky, just on that, it's a good point you make about um, Alex Mowat conning the referee. How many times have we seen it? And do you think it is an issue for referees, maybe a lack of understanding around the game? They tend to go off a player's reaction and make a decision rather than actually what's happened. Yeah, yeah, no, they do. But it is hard, isn't it? It is hard because they've ref hundreds, thousands of games, haven't they? And they'll think they know players. You know, they've, they've been on the pitch long enough with players to surely understand their, you know, the, the way that they operate. I, I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. Uh, other than to maybe get more ex-players into into refereeing. You know, lads that... I think the best answer, and I think the wheels are being put in motion on this, the best answer, I think, is for players that didn't make it, that didn't get to first-team level. So they've got no uh, obvious bias. Uh, for them to... It didn't quite make it. They come out of the game looking for a career. For them, at the age of 20, 21, to then become referees. I think that is possibly the the way forward not that many will want to do it but i'll tell you what you know it's a, it's a good earner isn't it for, for for them and you know great experience to be out there in the middle in the championship in the premier league potentially so i think hopefully that will happen in the future but players I also just... have to t- players always also have to take responsibility because you know if you're going to go around tricking referees then you know it, it will come back to bite you because someone will, will just go and trick the referee against you won't they and it's yeah, I think the men- I'd like to see the mentality change, but I don't think it will. Yeah, I just want to jump in again on that point of ex-players or or lads who don't quite go in and make it. I think it's the process behind that will, that will encourage more to to go forward. You again, I'm I'm sorry, but you can't expect them to go and go and do Sunday league football, which is the traditional process. You know, I think for that refereeing route. I think you have to take advantage of they do have a better understanding of the game. You know, even if they have been in a youth set up up till 21, 22, it's then about getting them the rules and regulations that clearly referees now hold an edge over, I suppose, even us as players. You know, their job is to know the rules, but it's how you apply those rules to those specific situations and having a real understanding of the game in that exact moment. And I just think that if you have... You know, 10 lads looking at an incident, you'll get a pretty level uh, and consistent answer to something. Whereas refs, we're getting up and down, up and down. And I think that's the big issue. So I'm with you. I do think there's a big area there to exploit. And I think it would give a lot of lads who have a passion, you know, and a hunger to to want to be involved in football at all levels, you know, to stay involved in the game. And at the same time, bring refereeing up, you know, to the levels that we all want to see. But it's got, but it's got to come from the people in charge of refereeing and officiating this country. They've got to want to embrace that 
do I feel that they do? Not really. So I hope that appetite grows. Yeah, and you've got to make it financially attractive for them as well, I suppose. Uh, Something that hasn't been financially attractive over the last few weeks are our attempts at a midweek bet builder, courtesy of our friends at Paddy Power. In order to try and get back on some winning form, we've decided to hand over care of this to Adrian. He is, after all, our betting expert. We're going to call it Adrian Zacker, which is alliterative, which everybody likes. Uh, Clarky, I believe you've got two picks for us from the midweek championship games. Yeah, too much pressure this, but I'll embrace it. Come on, it can't be any worse, can it, than than what we've been? So, yeah, I've got a couple of games. Um, this this Acker won't be as long odds as as some of the ones that we've chosen, <laughs> but sooner or later one's got to come in. So, first one's Blackburn Derby. Um, both teams to score no. Neither team has been in the goals of late. It's a big game for them both. I think it'll be quite cagey. I could absolutely see a one nil either way potentially a goalless draw here as well. The one all is the result that would kill us. But um, yeah, Blackburn Derby, um, both teams to score. No, the other one is is a following on really from the West Brom chat. I'm, I'm not, absolutely not sold on, on West Brom. I think they're kind of in between managers, if you know what I mean. They're, they're learning what Bruce wants, but they're not really playing with any confidence. Fulham on the back of sort of dropped points at Barnsley I think I think their their forward line might have a bit too much for West Bromwich Albion so I'm going to go for Fulham to win at the Hawthorns Producer Abby can you give us the prices on those please Blackburn are the favourites in this one three to four Derby four to one but for Adrian's specific bet both teams to score no that comes in at six to ten as for Fulham uh, they're going away to the Hawthorns at West Brom uh, they are evens to beat uh, Steve Bruce's men uh, that means that that double comes in at two to one Thanks, Abby. We'll carry on with that as the show goes on. Next, we're heading for League One. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. If you want to read more Football League content from the likes of Nancy Frostick, Paul Taylor, Phil Buckingham, Peter Rutzler and more of the Athletic's best writers, you can do so by heading to theathletic.com forward slash league show and get yourself a subscription of just £1 a month for the next six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. League One headlines. MK Dons and Wigan shared the points in the big game in the race for automatic promotion. Table-topping Rotherham were held to a 0-0 draw with Wickham as Gareth Ainsworth bared his chest pre-match. Gillingham beat relegation rivals Doncaster to put them within goal difference of safety. Crew, Morecambe, Wimbledon and Fleetwood all lost, meaning it's still all to play for at the bottom. And it was all square in the meeting of second place Wigan and third MK Dons at Stadium MK. It means Wigan stay above the Dons on goal difference, but still with three games in hand. So basically, Joby, this was a much better result for Wigan than it was for the Dons. Yeah, and Rotherham United as well, Matt. I think they'd be very happy with that. Um, But yeah, I think certainly from Wigan's point of view, it's just about keeping MK Dons where they are. You know, I think, you know, Liam Manning spoke about Wigan coming and actually paying them a lot of respect. I think it shows, again, we talk about managers who have done a really good job, you know, how well MK Dons have done to have the team in second coming to you and actually saying, look, we're going to just be really solid, really hard to beat. And and that's pretty much what they did. They'd be disappointed, of course, to have conceded a goal so late. But I think overall, you know, when you're against your rivals, of course you want to win games and it's very important to win them. But... At the very least, you want to, as I say, just keep them where they are. They've got the games in hand, you know, three over MK Dons, still got the two over Rotherham. Um, so I think overall, you know, as you say, Wigan, certainly the, the happier of the two teams with the result in the end. Just takes the pressure off some of those games in hand, doesn't it, Adrian, knowing that they haven't been overtaken by MK? Yeah, it was hu- hugely important they didn't lose the game. Uh, I just think Wigan kind of sacrificed a little bit of maybe what they wanted to do in order to stop MK Dons thriving. And and sometimes you've got to do that. I think that's I think that's a good sound tactical approach from Liam Richardson. It's kind of like match play. It's we, they deliberately made it a scrappy game by 
focusing their attention on getting in the faces of those of those midfielders that want to put their foot on the ball and and knock it around and they they disrupted the flow and and actually that kind of suits Wigan because they they break really quickly from those sort of turnovers as I've been talking about and one other thing I've picked up on with Wigan is for the big games that they by default they almost always go with the back three and 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 tilt comes in and they ju- they just yeah, they make themselves hard to play against. And and I think given where they are in the league, in pole position for top two, that's probably a sound a sound ploy. Just be hard to beat and chip away. You know, leave it up to your forwards to go out there and, and win you win you some uh, win you some points. Elsewhere, Sheffield Wednesday hit Cambridge for six at Hillsborough to record their biggest win in more than eight years. Uh, Joby, the six-minute own goal kind of set the tone for Cambridge here. But then you had Barry Bannon pulling the strings and scoring goals and Saido Berahino with a hat-trick, the first ever in his league career. Berahino drops the shoulder and it's the hat-trick! In off the post, he fires it in spectacularly! A deserved hat-trick from Saido Berahino. Brilliant finish. He's taken all of his goals really well. Darren Moore deserves a lot of credit, doesn't he, for, for reviving his career, really? Yeah, absolutely. Certainly one that probably I don't think many would have, have taken a chance on. Um, but yeah, for him to come out and, and get his first ever league hat-trick, I'm sure Darren Moore would have been very, very happy uh, on Saturday night, you know, probably over a glass of wine. So it weren't a bad shout in the end. Um, starting <laughs> to win over a few fans that are notoriously hard to please, you know, again, given the size of the club. But yeah, it's not often you'll get someone who scored a hat-trick it's probably not the most talked about performance of the day. And and Barry Bannon was fantastic. You know, as you say, pulling strings, scored a worldie, you know, involved in so much of the build-up, certainly to some of the other goals. He certainly looked to play at way, way above the level of League One. And with him in the side, you know, you've always got a, a real big opportunity. I think the big thing in terms of Sheffield Wednesday overall, they drew too many games, certainly in the first half of the season. It's actually 10 uh, by the middle of December. They haven't drawn one since. Played 15 games. They've won 10 and lost five. Um, so, yeah, certainly from their point of view, I think that's been the big turning point. And also their home form of late has been very, very good. And it, it needs to be, you know, we've spoken about pressure at big clubs and, and getting those fans on board. But certainly that's been a big factor in in what they've done of late. I think their last eight games at home, they've won seven and only lost one. So, all things going in the right direction with with Darren Moore after a little bit of a sticky start, certainly in the first half of the season. Yeah, they found a formation, the three three five two. Uh, I think that Story coming in at the back, a, a proper defender, has, has definitely definitely helped them. But for me, that I, I like the midfield three of this uh, in this game: um, Byers, Luongo, and Bannon. I think that's, that's a really strong central midfield three. Uh, lots of balance there. It's too good, really, I think, for, for League One, that particular engine room. And then, obviously, up front with Gregory and, and Berahino and others, they've got they've got good players, haven't they? They just needed to sort of find find their identity. And, yeah, they're, they're top, joint top, aren't they, of the 10-match of the form table now, Sheffield Wednesday, um, with MK Don. So, hitting form at, at just the right time. Yeah, seventh in the actual table, but only a point outside of the playoffs. Uh, Adrian, you've got a League One selection for the first ever Adrian Zaka. Looking forward <laughs> to the jingle right. for this, by the way, when, when yeah, Abby gets around to making it. Right on cue. It is Sheffield Wednesday. They, they, they entertain Accrington. Accrington have been conceding a lot of goals lately. Uh, scoring goals as well, by the way. Um, so so they'll they'll go there, I think, and, and, and be quite expansive. Not expansive, but I think they'll have a go. Sheffield Wednesday in a rich vein of form. They're scoring, scoring for fun, aren't they? Particularly at Hillsborough. So yeah, I'm not going to tip up the result here. I'm just going to say there's going to be over two and a half goals Sheffield Wednesday against Accrington. Abby, what are the odds on that, please? Uh, the odds for over two and a half goals are four to five. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday odds on uh, eight to fifteen, and Accrington nine to two to win the games. Um, that means the treble is just shy of five to one. And when you said jingle, the first thing that came into my head was the tune for Rosie and Jim for some reason, but it doesn't quite work. So I'll work on it. It was a good show, though. Really good, good show. show. Certainly, certainly better than Stacey Solomon's whatever it was. <laughs> Clarky's so big into. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams. In League Two, Forest Green Rovers now winless in six after Bradford found their spark and the mark. Second place, Northampton lost at Carlisle. Dion Conroy scored a 96-minute winner for Swindon at home to struggling Oldham. And Scunthorpe are now 10 points from safety after letting the lead slip against Colchester. So then Mark Hughes picked up his first win as Bradford boss at leaders Forest Green Rovers, who continued to stutter. Joining us now to talk bantams is the Athletics' Richard Sutcliffe, who's penned an extensive piece on Bradford and their travails in recent years. Um, Richard, was it a good thing or a bad thing that, that they got the win on Saturday in terms of the piece? Oh, well, it's just come out before. Um, pretty important for the club, really, because it's it's been a horrible... Horrible time. You know, I was lucky enough to cover Bradford for the local paper when they're in the Premier League. So to see, you know, the state of it over the last few years and how it's how it's fallen away, it's uh, it's not been a good watch. How toxic had it, had it got under Derek Adams? That was awful. It really was. I went down uh, when they played Harrogate sort of two or three Tuesdays ago. And uh, the worst thing about it probably was more disinterest. You know, people just couldn't be bothered. You know, and the, the, the attendance was given as its usual, 14,200. But if there were half of those people in the ground, I'd be really surprised. Because, you know, you could see the Bantam picked out on the, on the Midland Road stand. And it was awful. You know, it's, 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 it's obviously people pick, point the finger of blame and the, the chief exec, Ryan Sparks, you know, his, his number had been put online uh, about a month before and obviously predictable consequences there. Then he, he got back to his car after Leighton Orient and somebody had... Uh, you know, sort of broken four beer bottles round the tyres of the car. So obviously, you, you take your uh, you take your inference from that, don't you? Really, it's it was an awful place. You know, Derek Adams as an appointment just didn't work. I thought it I thought it was a good appointment last summer. I must admit, you know, specialist getting out of League Two just got out with Morecambe on the smallest budget. But you know, after after initially a good start, they beat Stevenage and beat Mansfield early on. It just it was horrible, and uh, the fans just weren't having him. It wasn't just about Derek Adams, though, was it? As, as the piece explains, there's, there's been a long-term malaise at the club. Oh, absolutely. You know, he just becomes a lightning conductor, really, for it. You know, as a, I look back to when Phil Parkinson took over at Bradford in um, in uh, 2011, and the biggest success he had was to sort of win the fans round because they'd had sort of 10 years of being punched in the face by football, really. And, it, you know, the, and that punishment that they took, it just meant that the first time anything went wrong in a game, there was just this air of resignation. You know, you go 1-0 down and think, oh, well, that's it, on to next week. Whereas under Parkinson, they turned it. So if you go 1-0 down, we can turn this around. And that malaise had returned, really, I'd say, over the last three or four years because of how bad things had got. Obviously, COVID meant fans weren't in the ground for one year of that. But it really had hit home the fact that, you know, like I said, they got to the playoff final in 2017, and then it just unravelled from there and it's, you know, it, it became a really sorry place to be, to be honest. So we know that there was this offer for the club back in December, which was all about NFTs. Um, you know, we won't go deep into that because none of us really understand it. Uh, but, but does that indicate that, I, I know you say that the owner in the piece, it explains that the owner says, you know, well, every club is for sale for a, for a price is kind of the inference but he must be thinking that he's in it for the long term and, and certainly Mark Hughes must be thinking that must not he otherwise he wouldn't have he wouldn't have signed up absolutely um, he, he was given reassurances when he when, when he stuck his hand up uh, Hughes to say he was interested because as you say the last thing you want is a, a new owner coming in and especially you know with a completely different ownership model to what anyone's ever been used to and uh, and some of the statements that they came out with as well weren't great when they're interested emerge and it was obviously Bradford that they'd locked onto. I must admit the price of you know it was ten million euros was the offer. I was surprised it was that high if I'm honest. Um, it you know it, it is I've, I've had it verified by four or five different people. So to turn that down I thought was was quite a commitment from uh, Stefan Rupp. You know like the fact is 
I know he, he, he railed against when I, I said people call him an absent owner and he said that's not the case. But when you live in Germany and you never, you know, he hasn't been seen at Valley Parade, I'd say, for at least a couple of seasons, certainly when I've been there or anyone I've spoken to. And the sort of feeling is that, you know, he's a very successful businessman and he has a big empire over in Germany. So, of course, he's going to focus on that. But the feeling was that Bradford was sort of just being left, not to rot, but just sort of meander along, really. And, uh, you know, I, I, I must admit, when, when I found out that offer had come in, you know, I, I could have, I certainly could have forgiven him for taking that money because he gets his original investment back, the loan that's in the club at the moment for like about 1.7 million and, and makes a little bit of a profit and he gets rid of something that, let's let's be honest, has been a bit of a headache for the last two or three years. So to turn that down because he didn't think it was right, I think fair play to him is, you know, I'm not a big fan of absent owners, if I'm honest, and I do think if you're not there, then... You are an absent owner, but uh, on that one, I think he did uh, he did right by Bradford City. Finally, then, obviously, he he played a part in the appointment of Mark Hughes. How, how do you see this going? Do you think it's just another short term fix that ends up going wrong, or do you think he's going to be there for for the length of his contract? It's it's, it's another left field one, you know, because I must admit, when Adams went, you know, I'm, I'm, I was I was working on this piece and I'm talking to ex players, ex chairman, you know, people involved at the club and. Everybody, the same thing kept coming back. Well, City have tried everything. You know, they've gone for the legend, they've gone for the rookie, they've gone for the promotion specialist, whether that's Grayson in League One or Adams in League Two, and, and nothing's worked. Um, so to bring in somebody like Mark Hughes, who, you know, let's, let's not forget, he's never managed below the Premier League. You know, the, the, the first thing you think with that is like, well, does he know the market? But I think Glyn Hodges was a very astute appointment in that respect because... You know, he's he's a reg, he's a regular regularly spotted, you know, that sort of lower divisions and he knows I know sort of people who work for conference clubs and you know, they're not clean really well. So you know, that'll be the sort of eyes and ears I would have thought in terms of knowledge. But I, it's it's you know, like I say, so many managers have come in and so many you thought, yeah, that's a decent appointment, is that they're gonna do okay. And then it all goes wrong. But somebody has to get it right at Bradford. You know, I know fans sometimes don't see that because they have been battered down by what's happened. But Phil Parkinson, when he came in, you know, I can't remember people dancing in the streets when he got the job. And yet, you know, what what a five years, five year journey he took the club on. You know, League Cup final, winning at Wembley in the playoffs, beating Chelsea away, you know, winning at, beating Leeds, which was obviously a big one locally in the League Cup. So, you know, let's hope Mark Hughes can be it. And, you know, I, I certainly you look at his pedigree and obviously Wales have done brilliantly lately, but sort of makes it overlook what, what great strides they did when he was manager there. And he's done good jobs in the Premier League. You know, he's managed Man City. He's, you know, he's finished at Southampton. You know, he's, he's, he's good clubs he's been at. And he's certainly galvanised the place. You know, the fans are back on side. Obviously, you only need a couple of bad results and that can change. But you can see difference in the players. You know, this is... I'm not saying they didn't respect Derek Adams. But you look at Mark Hughes and, you know, you, this, is one of, this is one of the greatest footballers we've had in this, in this country for sort of 30 years, in the last 30 years. So... If you can't be motivated by him a little bit with Derby, like with Wayne Rooney, if you can't be motivated by somebody like that, then is there any hope for you, really? It'll be fascinating to see how it turns out, not just this season, but next too. Richard, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks very much. Just off the back of that, Adrian, people have been poo-pooing my theory that FGR are on the slide. No wins in six for them now. They've got some tough fixtures ahead for the rest of the season as well. Is there any chance they throw this away? I don't think so. No, I think they're going to go up. But but they could throw the title away, I suppose. But you look around and no one looks like they're going to make a run, do they? They're all stumbling around Forest Green Rovers, Northampton, Tranmere, Exeter, all, the, all of these teams. That, you know, they're, they're decent sides, but, but they're, not, they're not stringing 10 straight wins together, are they? So, no, I think they've, they've got enough of a gap. I thought, I thought they would win this game. This, this really surprised me, losing, losing to Bradford. Bradford had the, the joint uh, fewest number of clean sheets, along with Scunthorpe, in League 2 ahead of this game. I just thought Forest Green's firepower would be too much for them, but yeah, it was a really resilient effort for, from Bradford. They've just hit a bit of a flat spot, haven't they? Um, been draw, drawing tough games no shame in that but they've just lost a little bit of their spark I, I think they'll come again but I, I certainly don't expect them to finish outside the top three uh, Adrian let's round off this first ever Adrian Zaka what's your pick from the League <laughs> 2 games please 
I am going to go for, well, Crawley's away record's not great. Exeter have a phenomenal uh, record at home at St. James's Park. Really um, in good shape as well at the moment. I think they'll be frustrated that they drew at the weekend. But I do think Exeter will uh, will have too much for Crawley, um, who aren't as strong as Salford, who who they drew with at the weekend, Exeter. And they were unlucky not to win that, Exeter. So, yeah, Exeter to beat Crawley, please, Matt. Abby, what are the odds on that, please? Yeah, so Exeter very much the favourites, uh, as you would expect against John Yems Crawley. They are 5-6 to six to beat them, which means that our build, bet builder, well, Adrian's Acker, really not ours at all, uh, comes in at 9.56 to 1. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. It's over 18s only. Prices are accurate at the time of recording and when the fun stops. Stop. Right, before we go... Uh, those West Brom fans, and there were plenty of them, who skipped out before the end of the match on Friday night and missed their team's two-goal comeback, it, it led me to thinking, is it ever acceptable to leave a game early? Adrian, have you done it? Do you agree with it as a practice? Does it boil your blood? <laughs> I, if I've, as an adult, taking my son, uh, my eldest, I would never dream of setting the example of, of leaving early. I think just stick it just stick it out. I think I think it's the right thing to do. But there are extenuating circumstances. I think late trains, if you've got a train to catch, you you got to you got to go early, haven't you? I, I, I do think that. I think midweek is much more acceptable to leave 5 minutes before the end uh, than on a weekend. On a Saturday, where are you going to go? You know, there's not like there's no real panic, is there? Especially quarter to five, ten to five on a Saturday afternoon. I don't think it's acceptable to to leave early. But yeah, I have I, I did do it probably in my younger days and missed a few goals. It's, it's nothing more, nothing more sort of galling, is there? As you you you're heading off to the tube and then you can hear the roar of the crowd behind you. It's yeah, it, it's it's one of those serve you right moments, isn't it? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I, I can't remember missing out on any amazing sort of moments, but but yeah, I think we've all been guilty of it, haven't we? I don't think there's anyone out there that hasn't left a game early. Surely not. Well, you've just reminded me of the last time I did it, and it was because I had to go and catch a train back to London. It was uh, Forest against Arsenal in the FA Cup in in 2018. But the thing there was, I knew that Arsenal weren't going to mount a comeback. The game was long since (laughs) over, and there was no chance of them keeping pace with us. Anyway, yeah, that's when I left early. Joby, I mean, I guess you could get a red card and beat the traffic that way. But but generally, you've got to try and stick it out to the end, haven't you? Well, yeah, I definitely wouldn't leave as a spectator. Uh, There was one occasion I wish I could have left early as a player. Um, And talking of red cards, it was the only time I got sent off in my career. I'd already had the yellow. I'm going to blame the manager for this typical footballer moment here. So I was on a yellow. The ball gets played out to the fullback. I've got the gaffer at the time was Kevin Nugent saying it was Leighton Orient against Sheffield United at Bramall Lane. We were 1-0 up and the gaffer's like, go on, you can get there, you can get there. So I'm hearing out slightly late not too late, um, clipped the fullback, sent off 75 minutes. It was already backs against the wall. And I can say from this one experience, it was the worst 15 minutes of my career in terms of just feeling lonely. I felt like I'd let the boys down. It's, it's a real horrible place to be. You're in the dressing room by yourself. You can't see the TV. You know, there was no screen in there to watch the game. You're hearing all the oohs, the ahs, and I'm thinking, boys, please just hold on, hold on, hold on gets to 90 minutes, Sheffield United score, and then my heart just sinks. I'm like, oh, I should have got something from the game. A minute later, they get another goal. So you're just hearing all the roars go out. And I'm like, the boys are going to kill me when they come in. And it, that, that feeling of emptiness just was amplified. And we actually went and scored a 99th minute equaliser, Roman Vincelot. And I was just buzzing like I just like I was in there thinking oh like brilliant but then the boys came in they're still giving me a few dirty looks you know what I mean for having to put them through it so certainly that last 15 minutes plus the injury time if I could have got a taxi home I would have definitely done it and avoided that that horrible feeling luckily for it was only once and we managed to nick a point in the end but it was a yeah not a nice did you give Vince a lot a a nice big hug I think you just said it would have deserved a kiss Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 The the focus was definitely on nicking a point rather than my sending off. So, uh, yeah. 
nicked it, no thanks to you. Uh, many thanks to Joe Beak, to Adrian, to Abby and to Richard for joining us earlier too. We'll catch up with you again on Thursday, listener. Have a good week. Until then, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.